And that's hallelujah. Praise to God in the highest. And we bless his name. We bless his name. Let's pray, family. Dear Heavenly Father God, we are grateful for your presence here that is so tangible and thick. We thank you, God, that you have allowed your glory to rest in this place. We pray, God, that that glory would permeate our minds and our souls. Speak to us today. It's not merely a man speaking, but God, flow through me that these people might hear you. I am a flawed man with unclean hands and unclean lips. But you, oh God, are perfect, and your word is perfect. So I pray, God, today that someone would hear your word clearly and plainly, and they might put their full confidence in you. We pray all these things in your mighty and matchless name, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. If you could uh, find with me in your copy of God's Word, John chapter 19. Still hear some pages turning. Your, uh, your tablet might be still loading or, or, or phone on your app. But when you found it, say amen. amen. Meet me in verse 23. It says, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to each soldier a part. And also the tunic. Now, the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be. That the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Now, there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. I'd like to speak to you today from a topic, family matters. Family matters. You know, it's a rare condition this day and age to read any good news on the newspaper page. Love and tradition of the grand design, some people say it's even harder to find. Well, then there must be some magic clue inside these gentle walls. But all I see 
is a tower of dreams. Real love bursting out of every scene. The days go by. It's the bigger love of the family. What's that tune? Family Matters. Yeah, that 90s sitcom that brought us Steve Urkel. Or for y'all ladies out there, Stefan Urkel. Many TV shows are named for their characters. Other TV shows are named for their overarching theme. Uh, this show in particular, Family Matters, and I didn't understand this until I grew up, that Family Matters is a double entendre. A double entendre is a word or a phrase that has a double meaning, all right? Uh, so in one instance, you might hear Family Matters, and what do you think? That it's a family situation, a family circumstance that we have to handle a family matter. But on the other hand, when you hear family matters, you might think, well, family means something. Family is important. That family actually matters. See? Double entendre. So I want to take us through a passage where the, the, the writer, John, is dealing with a family matter. And Jesus is dealing with a family matter. Why does he take this time out to detail this scene? It's because family matters. So the big idea is this. And if there's one prevailing thought, one thing that I want you to take away from this sermon, it's simply this, that Jesus, in his care and concern of his mother, shows us even on the cross, that even facing life's most difficult situations and circumstances, in facing the gravest adversities of life, that the welfare of your family is still of grave importance. That family matters. See, I, I like this passage because we get a lot of uh, character study. We get uh, uh, pictures of characters. We get uh, items and, and other things that uh, are giving us all types of context. So join with me back in verse 23. There are four soldiers, four women, this tunic, and a Savior being executed on a cross. Verse 23 starts out, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus. Now, anytime as a Christian, when you're reading a verse and that word crucifixion comes up, we shouldn't pass by that too quickly. We need to always take time thinking about what crucifixion means. And the hist history of crucifixion was this, that Greeks and Romans had historically reserved this kind of punishment for slaves. They, they thought it was too gruesome of a punishment for freeborn or citizens. And then as time went on, it became a punishment for those who were enemies of state or government. But uh, in Jesus's day, crucifixion had simply become a deterrent to criminal activity. So in other words, uh, they were fine executing common criminals on a cross. So this Jesus, who had given sight to the blind, who caused the lame to walk, this Jesus who preached the good news of the kingdom of God, 
was now regarded as nothing more than a common criminal. See, it's amazing that in this day and age, the, the truth of the matter is that when you stand up for what's right, and when you stand up for what is true and what is good, that you just might have to endure some suffering. See, I know that's not a, a kind word um, to, to, to those in America who enjoy our, our creature comforts, right? Uh, we like the, the luxury of life, you know, hot running water and uh, uh, cool and filtered water to, to, to drink. We like driving our luxury cars and we like all these other different creature comforts that we pile around in our lives. But the, 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 the truth of the matter is, is that suffering sometimes will creep its way into our life. And as a Christian, what are you going to do when you encounter suffering? The, the, the real idea is, is that every human in this life is going to suffer. That suffering is part of the human condition because each of us is deeply flawed and depraved. So the question is, is that as a Christian, it's not if you will suffer. It's not when you will suffer. The real question is, what are you going to do when suffering is at your doorstep? Because when you suffer as a Christian, you do not suffer alone. You suffer with Christ. That just like how he stood up for what was good, how he did what was right, and he had to endure the cross, so you too must pick up your cross, follow Jesus, and you might have to endure pain and hardship. But that's the nature of the call. Verse 23 continues, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now, the tunic was seamless, woven in one, one piece from the top. These tunics, according to cultural practices and cultural manners in that day, to be seen in your tunic was basically to be seen as naked. That if you were in your tunic, it was basically you in your undergarments. And there was no difference. There was virtually no difference in someone seeing you as naked. So here is our Jesus. God in the flesh. Descended from heaven to die for you and me. And he wasn't given a poison pill. Wasn't given the gas chamber wasn't given a, a needle to his veins. But this Jesus was put on a cross before the world and stripped not only of what would culturally be naked for them, but even that garment was taken from him, that literally every single possession in the world was taken from Jesus. You see, a lot of times when we view Jesus on the cross, we get this nice picture of Jesus, and he's hanging kind of like he's peaceful. He might be sleeping, and then he might have a little thing around his garment. But no, this Jesus is suffering. This Jesus is in agony, and this Jesus has been stripped of his dignity to be exposed in front of the whole world. That's this Jesus. That's our Jesus. Have you ever been embarrassed? Have you ever felt humiliated? Well, imagine that you created everything. You created everything and then your creatures 
put you on a cross and lay you bare before the whole world to be humiliated. This is his throne. Not of exaltation, but of humiliation. And he was willing to endure it for us. So they said to one another, verse 24, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill the scripture that says, they divided my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing, they cast lots. It's interesting that in the mind of these soldiers, the tunic received more care and concern than Jesus did. They were very much willing to uh, strip the dignity away from Jesus, very much willing to beat Jesus, very much willing to tear away at his flesh, very much willing to, to die of asphyxiation on the cross. But this tunic has to maintain its integrity. Let's not tear it. Let's tear Jesus, but don't tear this tunic because this tunic has value. The King of kings and the Lord of lords on a cross, but the tunic has more value. How much better do we give our care and concern to God sometimes? That we give our cars, our house, our education, our career, our friends, our popularity, our shoes, our video games, our iPhones. We give them more value than we give our Savior. Hebrews talks about when we sin, we, we crucify God all over again. When we give our attention, our adoration to our creature comforts, we're putting Jesus right back up on the cross. I told you I love this passage because contrasting these four soldiers, so concerned about the integrity of this tunic instead of the man who was dying before them, are four women. Four women to contrast their capitalism with their love. I'd like to just take a side note and, and notice in verse 25 it says, but standing by the cross. So in other words, they weren't standing a far way off. They weren't hiding, standing by the cross, standing in close proximity to the cross. Note that the disciples had run away. Note that in this time, it's, it's highly regarded that the character of, of males is fortitude, is courage, is warrior. Yet it's the women in this case who show up, show up with courage. I'm amazed at some women and the strength of some women. That when men don't step up to the plate, they can put on the mantle. They can carry by God's grace what's not taken care of. These women are so courageous that even in 
Jesus' darkest hour when his disciples have abandoned him, they are there in the gap. These soldiers stripped away Jesus' tunic. And the writer here wants us to understand that even though he was stripped of his tunic of cloth, that these women were covering him with a tunic of love. You have to understand that there will be people, situations in life that will strip you of everything that you hold dear. That you will go through seasons of life where you are literally being eaten alive. Your finances, your emotions, your mental state, that where things are so tough, where you will fight depression, where, where you will fight discouragement, where you will fight all the things that the enemy might try to take and eat away from you. But you have to look by your cross. Who's the family? Who's the family that shows up to stand in the gap? That when times are toughest, that when times are darkest, that when times are hardest, that there are people who love you. There is no Christian, there is no believer who bears the cross, that bears their own cross and has no one at the foot of the cross. If there's nobody at the foot of your cross, you ain't living right. Because Christianity is born. Christianity experiences its growth in family and in community. That if you believe, that if you're a follower of Jesus, that you don't keep that word to yourself, but that you are in a community, that you are in a huddle, that you are in a band of believers and people about love. People who can cover you when you are born naked before the world. That whatever you might be suffering, that perhaps they can't provide a, a, a cleanse or an ailment directly for that, but they can cover you in love. They can cover you in support. They can cover you in prayer. They can cover you uh, in, in, in many types of ways in which you thought you could never be covered. But the important thing is, is that when things get tough, family is there. Me and my wife have had a devastating year. Devastating. It's been the hardest year of our marriage so far. We've been married five years. And I don't know what we would do if it wasn't for family. My sister-in-law and, and mother-in-law are here. And without their love and support, and my parents and my brothers and my sisters, and people like your pastor, we wouldn't still be married. But I thank God that when things get tough, that God has put community at the feet of our cross, you will endure hardship. You will endure suffering. But when things get tough, look to those who love you. 
They will encourage you. They will pick you up. And even if they can't give you exactly what you need, God has put them in a position that they can help you, pray for you, love on you, cover you, be with you, uh, uh, whatever it is that you need. In the darkest hour when things get toughest, they are there. I think it's primarily because of Jesus looks up, sees that everyone has abandoned him. But then he sees the ones who haven't. This is his response, verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Now, What's interesting is that he uses this term woman. Those of you who uh, are Bible scholars, maybe you're not a Bible scholar, but you probably have heard of the passage where Jesus changed the water to wine. Okay. Now, in that same passage, uh, John chapter 2, verse 4, says this, and Jesus said, uh, or Jesus' mom goes uh, to him and says, Jesus, they've run out of water. I'm sorry, they've run out of wine. And uh, Jesus, this is Jesus' response. Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So in that particular passage, what the writer is trying to communicate is that Jesus, although being a son, he has lordship. So he's emphasizing the lordship of Jesus even over his mother. That's how he's using woman in that context. But look here. Woman, behold your son. Talking about the disciple John, who he's about to appoint to her. He's accommodating her. He's addressing her in a different fashion. In, in, a, in another passage in Matthew and Mark, uh, it tells of a scene, uh, it says, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my mother, is my brother and sister and mother. It's, it's, it's almost as if Jesus is dismissive of these relational ties. But here... In particular, in this passage, Jesus understands the grave importance of what's about to happen. Yes, he's being crucified. Yes, he's fulfilling uh, what uh, Scripture said that he would do. But at the same time, uh, he's the oldest in his family. And in Jewish culture in that time, it was the oldest child's duty to make sure that if the father died, that he took care of his mother. So now Jesus is about to abandon one of his uh, premier uh, 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 human responsibilities to take care of his mother. So even while time and space are hanging in the gap that this is the most important time in human history, he takes the time to say, guess what? I have to take care of my mother. Throughout the whole other scripture, Jesus is pretty dismissive now. It's been emphasized that he has lordship over his mother. But, but right now, this is what's important. I have to make sure that my mother is taken care of. 
sometimes we have to know when the mission is not ministry, when the mission is not job, when the mission is not career, sometimes we have to know when the mission is family. I just... We get so caught up in trying to do what is right that we forget what actually is most important. That first comes God, then comes family. Nothing else comes between those two things. That when you get ministry up there or you get your job up there or you get anything up there and you usurp the order, that's when things start to get messed up. Sometimes you have to understand when the mission is your family. The most important disciple-making you can do is within the family. The family is where most of the values are formed. The family is where most of the discipline is formed. The disciple-making happens best in the family. The mission is sometimes the care of the family, and even Jesus. With time and space in the balance, with all of salvation in the balance, Jesus takes time to take care of his family. Verse 27, then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. You see, I work in banking. One of the hardest things to have to really engage with is when people transition, when people pass away. A lot of times they don't leave a will. So when someone doesn't leave a will, what you have to do, you got to go to the county courthouse. At the county courthouse, they have to appoint what's called an administrator of the will. And then from there, the administrator has to direct all the assets and, and different things that are left to the estate of the deceased person. But there can be a lot of issues sometimes uh, knowing who the administrator should be. Uh, were there multiple wives? Uh, who's next of kin? Uh, all different types of stuff. I, I bet some of y'all didn't know. Uh, for instance, if uh, with Social Security benefits, the first spouse is always entitled to Social Security benefits. No matter if you, you marry four times, first, first wife, you know, got the claim. You think, you know, three, three wives later, she was, no, 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 she gets the, she gets the money. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. But things can be sometimes very complicated when there are no directors. And the beauty of what Jesus does right here, and it's very subtle, and it, but it's very clear, is that he leaves directives in his wake for how things should be handled. He's given his last will and testament to make sure that his family and friends are taken care of. As I close... Um, it's very interesting how some people, certain people, uh, take care of their dogs. Uh, that that uh, all too often, you know, uh, people are overly concerned uh, about dogs, almost as if sometimes they're people. Y'all know any? Y'all know anybody like that? 
Like, my aunt actually, like, wouldn't travel overnight sometimes because she was concerned about what would happen to her dogs. So she would all, she lived in D.C. She would only do day trips up to Philly. She wouldn't do anything overnight because she was like, what's going to happen to my dogs? Or I got to pay for them to go to the, to the dog uh, sitter or whatever. Leave them dogs outside. Give them a bone and... <laughs> But do y'all know what it is? It's, it's, it's the fact that the dogs are inferior beings, but they're obedient. And they're loyal. And they listen. And they do what you tell them to do. So for you as the master... Relating to an inferior being that you house, that you clothe. It's, your, it's almost your joy to extend to them benefits that uh, their actual being would not enjoy. See, see it's, uh, some of you will get it in just a second. Uh, an inferior being that's obedient, loyal, faithful, and committed can get benefits from the master in which he can enter into the covering, enter into uh, the, the, the prescription, enter into, under, under the umbrella of covering of his father because he has drawn close to him. You see, when you stay near the cross... When you stay near the cross of Calvary, when you join up to Jesus, when you come near to Jesus, when you listen to him, when you're obedient to him, when you're loyal to him, when you do what he says, when you're about what he says be about, when you do what he says do, Jesus then extends to you family benefits. He says, come up under my canopy. He says, come up under my covering. He says, come up under my protection. He says, come up under everything that I've set and I provision for you. Guess what? Your family now. I'm standing the gap for you. That between time and space, I look down on you. I look 2,000 years ahead. And I saw you in your sin. I saw you in your mess. I saw what you were going through. I saw what you would go through. I saw the trouble that's ahead. But guess what? I've made provision for you. I stand in the gap for you. I provided everything that you could ever need because I am the King of Kings. I am the Lord of Lords. I died for you. I raised the life for you. I give you everything that you need. Life, health, wealth, everything that you need. Jesus has it. Can we bless God today? That Jesus, that Jesus in time and space died for you and me just so that we could be with him in heaven so that we could get caught up to meet him in the air. Can we praise God today for his goodness and his mercy? Can we give God some praise today? Hallelujah, hallelujah. We serve a good God. We serve a good God. For those of you who may not know why we're excited today, 
It's because Jesus, God in the flesh, we have no right having fellowship with him. You know in your heart of hearts that you've fallen short of his standard. He made you to be good. Yet we fall short of good all the time. How do we make that up? How do you, how do you deal with the guilt of falling short? How do, you, how do you deal with the pain of letting others down, letting yourself down? You've made promises to yourself about what you would or would not do over and over and over again. And they're broken promises. You lied to yourself and to God. And I just want to know today, is there anybody who's willing to put their full confidence and trust in Jesus 